0: Coaches, welcome to the Championship Vision Podcast. I'm Coach Kevin Furtado. Today, episode ninety, with Coach Jamie Angeli. The City College of New York Department of Athletics announced the addition of Jamie Angeli as an assistant athletic director for marketing in December 2011. From 2011 to 2019, Angeli has also served as an associate head and women's. basketball coach before stepping down from that position in March of 2019. In 2014, Angeli was promoted to the Associate Director of Athletics for Marketing position. As head women's basketball coach, Angeli wasted no time in getting CCNY women's basketball back to relevancy. After his first season as head coach in 2014-15, he was marred with injuries to several key players. Angelis' team bounced back his second season in 2015-16, posting a 17 and overall record, 11-5 in the conference, and a trip to the conference semifinals for the first time since the 2001-2002 season. It was also the first time since 2002-2003 that CCNY women's basketball finished with a winning record. The turnaround was also third best in the nation for NCAA Division III women's basketball teams that season. For his efforts during the 2015-16 season, Angeli was awarded the CUNY Athletic Conference Coach of the Year and the ECAC Metro Region Coach of the Year. Angeli is the first women's basketball coach at CCNY to win the COY award since the 1992-93 season and is also only the third women's basketball coach in school history to achieve this honor. During the 2016-17 season, And with only one returning starter, the Lady Beavers reached another milestone, making it back to the conference semifinals for the second consecutive year. A feat that had not been accomplished since the 95, 96, 96, 97 seasons. With only six active players on the roster, the Beavers and their six-strong rallying cry won an incredible road victory against the higher-seeded Hunter College Hawks to once again reach the conference final four. The 2017 season brought a winning season to the Upper West Side of Manhattan campus as the Beavers posted a 15-11 overall record and a 9-7 record in conference play. Unfortunately, this time around, they were unable to pull the upset and reached their third consecutive conference Final Four, losing at Hunter College in the quarterfinal round. The 2018-19 season was another successful year for the Beavers, adding to the overall win total from the previous season, 16-11, and conference win total, 10-6. Once again, the Beavers ended their season at the hands of Hunter College in the semifinals, their third appearance in the Final Four during the past full years. Prior to arriving at City College, Angelie has amassed an impressive coaching resume all over the world, as including successful stops at the high school, college, and professional levels. Most recently, Angelie was the top assistant women's basketball coach at NCAA Division I Seattle University from 2009 to 2011. During the offseason at Seattle U, Angelie was an advanced scout for the then WNBA Eastern Conference champion Washington Mystics. Anjali boasts over 35 successful years in the basketball profession as a player, coach, administrator, author, and internet entrepreneur. Coaches, you're going to have a really a treat here. Uh, Jamie has done so much in the game. He has, he has coached. He has been a player. He's a businessman. He's an entrepreneur. Um, I really met him when he uh, had his website business, and I utilized his website And uh, what a great guy, very informed, has so many DVDs out. I still have many of his DVDs, and uh, I just wanted to talk to him, pick his brain about what's going on um, in the administrative side of his business and also in the basketball world. I think you're really going to enjoy this podcast. Coaches, let's welcome Jamie Angeli. Jamie, welcome.
1: Hey, Kevin. Jamie, how are you, my friend? Good, good. Good.
0: Sound, everything sounds good? Sounds good. Great, great, man. Thanks for coming back, man. I appreciate you being so patient. No problem.
1: I'm looking forward to it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, hey, I just got finished. I got to tell you, I just got finished. I ran a clinic the other day, um, and uh, hey, we had coaches from all over the country. <clears throat> and I'd love to get your feedback on clinic buildings. I know you're a man that does it all. Um, hey, hey, tell us again a little bit about your background and uh, – kind of what journey kind of led you into your into coaching and what you're doing right now
1: well you know i hope not to uh i hope not to take up the rest of the evening with that opening question it's uh it's <laughs> been a long journey for me after 35 years uh but uh you know i've been in love with basketball for a long time uh, especially as a player as a young kid mm-hmm. never really thought about coaching much until i got to uh college and uh, i went to wisconsin stout a division three school uh, ncaa division three school in wisconsin and uh, after my second year my coach said hey why don't you stick around in the summer and uh, and help me run my basketball camps and i hadn't really even thought about anything camps coaching anything i just loved playing i know that so i decided to stay Help him with his camps, fell in love with, you know, working with kids and and the summer camp routine and all that uh, just got the bug and decided uh, right then and there that summer that I wanted to get into coaching. Uh, Didn't know really what level or where I wanted to coach. I just knew coaching was going to be in my future at some point. So uh, after finishing up there, I, I got a high school job back in my hometown area near, Iron River, Michigan. I grew up about 45 minutes from Iron Mountain, Michigan, which is Tom Izzo uh, country. Him and Steve Mariucci grew up there together and uh, played high school basketball and football together. And he went on to play at Northern Michigan University. And uh, so we had a legend right in our backyard as far as coaching and uh, never really ever wanted to be the next Tom Izzo or anything. You know, that was never a A goal or a passion i just knew i wanted to be around the game at some capacity so started with high school coaching and uh found out real quick that i didn't like being stuck in a classroom all day (laughs) and uh wasn't for me although i love the high school coaching uh obviously you're not gonna pay too many bills with just coaching so i knew i had to figure out something Got a Division two after one year, I got a Division two assistant women's coaching job offer from Kevin Borseth. He was the head women's basketball coach at Michigan Tech University. He's gone on to uh, quite a bit of fame at uh, uh, Wisconsin Green Bay as the women's coach there. He had a short stint where he left. And- Talking about you were at Michigan Tech and
0: uh, under a great coach. Got to continue on with that.
1: Yeah, I, w- I had the chance to work for Kevin Borseth, a uh, great coach coach. Uh, he gave me an opportunity to get out of high school coaching, which I found I didn't, you know, didn't enjoy being stuck in a classroom, as I said. But, uh, I spent, uh, a year with him there. And, uh, lo and behold, I get a call after one year. And this is a, a great, uh, reminder for people in growing up, moving up in the profession, even starting back when you're a student, I had a high school athletic director who I loved and, and always respected and was, you know, treated him with, uh, Kindness, and just like all most of my athletic people, I was with all my life. I tried to give them a little special attention, knowing I wanted to be uh, around basketball. Well, turns out my high school athletic director uh, was an assistant football coach at Northern Michigan University. The same time, Stan Elbeck was the head men's coach at Northern Michigan University. And Stan's, uh Stan went on to great NBA sure. coaching fame and coached Michael Jordan his rookie year at the, with the Bulls. So yeah, he called me and said, "Hey, Stan's looking for an assistant coach at Bradley University," and I was like, "Wow, I'm two years into my I'm one year high school, one year Division two women's assistant, and I got a chance to go to Division One at like, you know 23, 24, 25 years old." And I said, "Wow, this would be amazing." So luck was really on my side because Stan, even though he was the head coach at Bradley, and this is this is Hersey Hawkins now senior year. Unfortunately, I got there. And, after Hershey, but uh, he was a great player and went on to play for Philadelphia, 76ers for many years. But uh, Stan had one foot in the NBA and one on Bradley, and I don't think he wanted to be a college coach at all, And and but said, hey, come on up, we'll talk, I want you to go with my assistant coach to the big men's camp in Western Michigan, hang out with him for the day, he'll interview you, he'll, you know, run you around and you know, have me recruiting everybody and breaking network names down for kids and stuff like that. It ran me through the paces and we had a nice dinner and, and, his assistant coach said, well, Stan told me if I liked you to hire you. So he liked me, we hit it off and he hired me. So I'm assistant coach, a uh, third assistant now at, uh, Bradley university. Back then it was called a restricted earnings. You're probably too, uh, <laughs> too uh, young for those days, Kevin, but this is right. <laughs> uh, restricted earnings, third assistant. And, um, uh, but you're still. Hey, Jamie. (laughs) Hey,
0: uh, not a problem at all. Hey, welcome back again. Hey, Hey, tell me again, you're at Bowling Green. I I, I'm a big fan of Jim Lerner and egg. A matter of fact, I got all his books. A matter of fact, I got all your books too, Jamie. So uh, all his tapes, everything he's, he's very underrated. As a coach, isn't he?
1: He really is. Uh, man, he, he paid his dues. You talk about someone who paid his dues. He was an assistant coach for a while. He, he was with Terry Holland at Virginia and uh, really paid his dues working, uh, for him and finally got his opportunity to head coach. I believe he started at American University before he got to Bowling Green. But, uh, man, what a what experience for me. Expected assistant coaches to work as hard, if not harder, than him. Uh, but I had a great, great experience with him for two years there as a restricted earnings uh, assistant coach. Got to babysit his kids, one of them, uh, Jalen Arnega, who's now the top assistant with the Boston Celtics and a very good coach in his own right. He'll be a head coach in the NBA very soon. Uh, so that experience was uh, amazing for me. You still there, Kev? Yes, sir. Okay, great. So, after two years, again, I'm a restricted earnings assistant, and I'm trying for these, trying to get these other jobs. And uh, I realized I don't have any recruiting experience, even though I've spent now three years at the Division One level. It was all restricted earnings and no, no, no uh, recruiting experience. So, a buddy of mine got a D two head coaching job at, at Lake Superior State, in Sault Saint Marie, Michigan, in the Upper Peninsula, where I'm from. And, uh, offered me the top assistant there in his head recruiting position and, uh, spent three years there, did very well, uh, building up that program. In fact, they won the year I left, they won the championship, unfortunately the year after, but all of the players that we recruited, uh, uh, did, did very well. And they ended up winning the conference championship uh, first time in a long, long time. So, uh, but when I got there, I met my first wife and realized I wanted to settle down and, and raise a family and, wasn't making a ton of money even at the D2 level as a top assistant. So I decided to settle down and get married and have some kids and, and uh, took a high school job in Norway, Norway, Michigan, in the upper peninsula of Michigan. This is not far from Iron Mountain and Tom Izzo country again. But uh, now I found myself back in the classroom, which I vowed I wouldn't do, but here I was <laughs> um, back, back in the classroom. But I was loving coaching. I uh, had some success at the high school level there, uh, and during this time, this is really where my career takes a, a, a really big swing in my life. And uh, during this time, when I was a high school, coach, a friend of
0: mine, my- continue saying about, um, you know, you're trying to settle down, work as a high school coach, and um, what happened after that? What what were some changes in your life? What were some changes going on in your life?
1: Um, yeah, I went back to high school coaching hated being in a classroom, but I wanted to settle down and get married to have some kids, and, and I needed to make some money, so uh, high school teaching was the route to do it at that time, wasn't making enough at the college level, so uh, spent three years at Norway High School, it's a school right near Iron Mountain, Michigan, We're again, back to Izzo, Mariucci country. Um, <laughs> But during that time, a a good friend of our family's uh, that I grew up with, she's actually one of my sister's best friends. She worked at Indiana University. She was either in marketing or sports information, something at Indiana University. But she was very, very good friends with Bobby Knight. And this is Bobby Knight's heyday back then. And and so I wanted to work his basketball camp. And it wasn't an easy job to get back then, as you can imagine. Everybody in the country wanted to work that camp. So – she pulled some strings, and sure enough, I'm working Bobby Knight's basketball camp. And this is when uh, my life changed uh, tremendously, uh, in a funny way, actually. Um, have you ever been to any anniversary at all on campus, uh, Kevin? I never have. No, no. I always wanted to. Yeah. Well, I, I wasn't really too familiar what where the heck we were going every day. But to go to Canberra every day, it felt like, and I'm not the the kind of I'm not a long distance runner by any means. I'm not one of those guys that's, uh, you know, can't wait to get up and hike three miles to <laughs> camp, but it felt like about two or three miles. It well, probably wasn't, but it was a long hike to camp every day from where they dormed us to where the gym was. It wasn't an assembly hall. We we're in some other gym, but, uh um, so after about three days of this, I'm at the back of the line and I'm walking. And of course, everyone doesn't want to say one negative word about Indiana, about Bob Knight. I mean, you know, he has got <laughs> everybody there. No one is going to have the guts to say anything whatsoever. And you tell you, you talk about nervous, Kevin, I tell you what run. I was, you run running a, a station with Bob. Knight. he's only in camp, you know, two or three days. his, speech before camp and after our classics. I can't even repeat half the stuff he said. I can't, I'm still in shock <laughs> to this day, the stuff he said to some of those parents and kids there. But anyway, you talk about nervous. I'm still a fairly young coach. Uh, I don't know, maybe one of my seven, eight, nine years into the profession. and I'm running a station drill and nights walking around, watching the stations. Holy smokes, you talk about nervous. All <laughs> you get, all you can imagine is nights just going to go off on you and start Laying India in front of these kids, but anyway, we're walking two or three miles, and I finally said, you know what, this is BS, whoever set this camp up, and I can see people starting to look around me like, oh my God, you know, are you actually saying something negative about Bob Knight's camp, you know, how dare you, you know, this is, this is Bobby Knight nothing, you know, you cannot say anything. I said, no, this is crazy. It's nothing about Bob Knight. It's just whoever put this camp together. It's ridiculous to have to walk this far to and from. And i am start cracking jokes. And one of the guys next to me starts laughing and he says, you know what? I've been saying this to my buddy all week long, everyone's been afraid to say anything, say anything. And you, uh, I appreciate the fact that you stood up and said something, I don't Huddle is the preferred video and analytics platform
0: for over 6 million users and 150,000 teams worldwide. Huddle offers a complete performance platform including the most powerful and flexible tools for video analysis with online tools, mobile and desktop apps, smart cameras, analysts, and more. For more information on Huddle, check out hudl.com or at Huddle on Twitter and Instagram. Hey, Coach, where are we at? <laughs> Hey, I, I love it. Uh, I'm a big Steve Lavin fan. I always have been and so forth. Um, but uh, I love I, – I tell you what I love is – and I, I've always just been a high school coach, so I can't relate to your story, but it just sounds like you're making connection after connection, building relationships. Yep. And that's what really kind of got to. Isn't that the key for co-
1: those coaches who are, are listening? That it truly is, you know, and and I got a perfect uh, boy, I got a there's a downside uh, to, to having success, especially early in coaching, but and I'll explain that in a little bit, but uh, yeah, for, but for Steve Lavin to to tell me, hey, you know, if I got an opening, you got a job, and I'm not sure where we left off last, but I was watching the NCAA tournament, and uh, there's Steve Lavin who took over a UCLA team now as an assistant coach was elevated to head coach when Jim Herrick was fired. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that. Sure, sure. Absolutely. Yes. So Lavin takes over, and I'm sure they didn't even think they were going to hire this young kid as a head coach at UCLA, but he's tabled, his team goes on to almost runs the table to the, to the national championship. I think they got beaten the the Elite Eight. They had Iowa State, I believe it was, on the ropes, and they had one of their better players get injured. Uh, Jelani McCoy down the stretch uh, in a big game where they could have got into to the Final Four, but he made such a great run with the ucla team they ended up giving him the head coaching job and i turned to my wife at that time and we had just won a district championship at, at norway high school the first time in 20 years and i had success there and i was feeling good but again stuck in the classroom kevin i just couldn't i couldn't get out how, how much i really hated being stuck there all day and uh i ended up uh picking up the phone and and Seeing if Lavin would uh, come through with his with his promise, and uh, lo and behold, he did. He said, "Pack your bags and get out to Los Angeles as quick as you can." And uh, you with me, Kevin? Yes, yes. And I love that loyalty,
0: man. I mean, I, uh, and I, I'm assuming it's, it's it's the same today, but I'm not quite sure. You would know more than I would, uh, but that that's that's really great, man. That's for relationships yeah, are all about.
1: It really was. I mean, for him to, you know, and I, we had stayed in touch and stuff, but gosh, I never assumed, you know, he was really young. Never assumed him to, to climb the ladder that quickly, but it just happened with Herrick, Jim Herrick being fired. So, yeah, so I made a tone turn and to my wife said, No, I got to do it. I, I got to get back in college coaching. And uh, and Lavin said, Come on out, you know, get out here as fast as you can. So, uh, I, at the time, unfortunately, it, it, this, this profession isn't, uh, the, the uh, would I want to say at the most uh, relationship friendly profession especially for <laughs> marriages but uh, right. my wife at the time was a small town girl and wanted no part of Los Angeles uh, she said why don't you go out there and try it you know maybe I'll come out later one of those things and we'll try living apart for a while so I got out to Los Angeles and uh, Lavin took great care of me uh, at the time we didn't even have a position he just knew he was going to give me something and, and sure enough, this is, again, i show you how old I am. I've been long in the profession. The director of basketball operations position, which is, I think they call it the DOBO now or whatever the, the yeah. acronym is. Those were just starting out. So UCLA didn't even have a director of basketball operations yet. I think the only, I may be wrong, but because when they added the position, the athlete, Lavin said, I'm going to make you my director of basketball operations. I said, fantastic. Absolutely love it. And, uh, at uh, UCLA. So the athletic director tells me, he says, Jamie, I want you to call Duke and North Carolina, because I think those are the only few schools that had a director of basketball operations at that time. He says, call them and figure out what they're paying their director of operations, and we'll figure out what we're going to pay you. You know, so that's how it started. That's how that position started for me at UCLA, and and uh, I spent six years, unbelievable years there with Steve Lavin. I mean, that's it's a uh, 10 hour phone call just talking about UCLA and the people I met every other two weeks. I'd go out to John Wooden's house. I'd bring mail out to John Wooden and visit (laughs) with him and talk about every possible story under the sun from mother Teresa to the two, two one press to Abe Lincoln. I mean, you're all over the place with this guy. He is such an amazing, amazing man. And I had a great opportunity to spend so many hours with him in his apartment. And, uh, was really fortunate to also have so many of my friends come out to Los Angeles and visit and also get a chance to come out to his apartment and, and meet John Wooden. So to, to this day, I still get a lot of, you know, notes and emails now and then say, hey, Coach, I just, you know, I was just thinking back about the time you introduced me to Wooden and that really, it's good balls and, and anything that people would send to, to our basketball office for him to sign. You know, he would sign every one of them. But we'd come over and drop it off and, and just spend the night talking about everything. Mother Teresa, wow. Lincoln, Bat Two Press. I mean, literally all over the place. And, and just to listen to phone calls that come in that he would take or not take. You know, hey, Coach, this is Bill Walton. You know, hey, Coach, this is Lou Alcindor or, excuse me, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, you know, and, and all these people that are calling him that are just legends in the game. And uh, it's just I have so many stories about it. And the problem is, especially with me, when I get when I get to know someone too well, I start to push it a little bit, especially with my sense of humor. And I'll never forget one night Wood, I was getting a little too with the jokes, you know, and, and it's almost forgetting who I'm with. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> where where you're Hey, this is John Wood. And so I started making a couple of jokes. And as we're leaving, Wood says to me, he said, hey, Jamie, I got a little advice for you. I go, yeah, what's that, coach? He goes. It's more important to have character than to be a character. <laughs> and I said, wow, that's man. That's point taken, Coach. I got it. So ever since that day, you know, I mean, I would just joke so many. Like, I forget one birthday card they went around the office. You know, he might have turned on. I think when he died, he was ninety-nine, but it might have been like his ninety-seventh birthday. And I'd write, Coach, you don't look a day over ninety-six. You know, or something like that. Or <laughs> so you know, I was starting to. Fool around with him like I do with all my friends. I got to realize, even though I'm getting closer with this guy, he's still John Wooden. I need to rein it in a little bit, you know. But uh, he was just amazing. I'll never just from day one, when I I, I got to UCLA, Lavin had me stay at his couch until I could figure out what we're doing with the director of operations position. But I'm and I and a side note, I'm not, I'm a huge Pat Riley fan, huge Showtime fan. Showtime, yeah, a huge Pat Riley fan and Showtime and Magic and Jamal Wilkes, and you know, the whole gang. And uh, and I had, had the opportunity in my career too, to actually work at Pat Riley's camp, which is amazing for me. I was in awe the whole time. Uh, but one or two nights at Lavin's house, I'm staying with him now until we get the director of operations. For position of my salary figured out, knock at the door, it's Jamal Wilkes with a box of cigars and a couple bottles of wine from the from the, you know, <laughs> from Laker fame. And I am just like, oh my God. So Jamal comes in and we're sitting around and I can bear I'm I'm sitting there stomping my foot, just tapping my foot because I want to get out of there and get on the phone and start calling everybody I know that you know, I'm having a cigar and some wine, which I don't like either, but I don't care. I'm having them with Jamal Wilkes. And I just want to call everybody I ever knew, you know, this is unbelievable. But little did I know that this was just the beginning, you know, I mean, it's just John Wooden and all these, it just never ended. Jerry West, our connection with UCLA and the Lakers was amazing. We'd get them tickets, they'd give us tickets. And just the access that UCLA provided was, was just unbelievable to celebrities and TV show tapings. And I could just go on and on and on the different things that, uh, were made available to me, uh, you know, aside from basketball. So it was just an unbelievable six year run uh, in Westwood that I'll just never, ever forget. I'll always be appreciative of Steve Laban for giving me that opportunity. Um, you with me, Kim? I am. I Here, am, coach. Here's, this is the downside. And this, and I, you kind of touched on a little earlier about working your way up the ladder and being good to people and staying in touch. And I was doing a great job of that but unfortunately the thing and i think you might even mention it when you when when i got to ucla i think you mentioned something about you know you made it you got to the top but you know you're at ucla and that's exactly how i felt and it was the wrong it was the dumbest thing i could have ever done i i just i i i said this is it i i don't need a network anymore I'm going to be able to pick and choose my jobs. I'm going to – Lavin's going to go to the NBA. I'm going to go with him. If he gets fired at UCLA, we're going somewhere else. I'm set, you know. This is my mindset in my – what I'm telling myself every day now. And, uh, you know, going on year three, four, five. And and I just stopped staying in touch. I stopped calling people that I've always known and, you know, to help try to get up the profession. Yeah, I just basically – shut down and started just thinking about myself and my own career and what I was going to have, you know, laid out in front of me because of UCLA. And, uh, it was one of the biggest mistakes. I regret it to this day because after six years, when Steve Lavin got fired, uh, I'm picking up the phone, looking for. You
0: kind of lost that really that, I guess you were saying maybe that humility
1: and hunger. Yep. Right. Um, Is that, is that, is that accurate? Absolutely. 100%. I just felt I had it made being at UCLA. I felt they were going to use the four letters of UCLA would open any door, any job for me the rest of my life that I would be set. You know, all these great people I was meeting, you know, I got John Wooden uh, as a reference. How am I not going to get a job? You know? So I just, I stopped connecting with the people that I've known all my life. And I felt I knew something. It just didn't feel right, but, Sure enough, when Lavin gets fired after six years, now I pick up the phone and I'm looking for job. And uh, those people are saying like, hey, where you been, you know? I'm Sure. And uh, sure enough, it, it was a tough project. To I learned a valuable, valuable lesson. You know, or you may think it's the top, you You can never forget that's an old thing those people on the way up, you know, because you're gonna be seeing them on the way down at some point. But uh, so that I really learned a valuable lesson and it was tough for me to get a job and uh, Steve Labo went into broadcasting it wasn't exactly follow him even though he wanted me to, he wanted me to, to join him as a I forget what job he called it. He wanted me to be the guy that would do all the research and help him with his research with college basketball opponents but something that I didn't want to do. and uh, the, the only job available to me was coaching professionally overseas and uh, there was a team in the country of Qatar Qatar, called El Rayon who some of our UCLA players had played on in the past and they connected me with the management and uh, so after about a year, I think I was working on the board I took a job in Qatar, Middle East and uh, good-paying job. I mean, you coach at school for two hours, you give you a house, you give you a car. And, uh, so that was a great experience. i was happy to get back into college. At least pay the the bills. But uh, I also learned about overseas. got a lot of friends, especially on Facebook, that are successful overseas. It doesn't translate, success overseas really doesn't translate to you getting a job back here in the States. They just don't value that success they can't put you know if you win a college national championship or you win a conference championship at the acc they understand that but if you win a championship over in the middle east you know they don't know you know how important that is or what value there is to that so i had tremendous success overseas you with me kev yes i am yes sir I was my first year, I think I was 30, 39 and two or something like that. And we won the Asian championship. And uh, I spent three years in Qatar and we won a ton of games and uh, had a great experience. I'm glad I did it. Would never do it again. But uh, it just was impossible to use that success over there to get back into coaching in the, in the college in the United States. And like I said, I know a lot of people that are in the same situation. But uh, it's just, you know, there's nothing you can correlate to winning in the Middle East. But uh, it was a great experience. And I learned something then that I kind of knew all the way up through my coaching career is I hated being a head coach. I just absolutely hated it, Kevin. Hmm. I'll tell you why. I just, I agonized, and you may be the same, or I hope you're not as bad as I was, but I just agonized over everything. Every play, every practice, every relationship on the team. Did this person get along with that person? Are we going to have a, you know, uh, I was worried about what. To- hey coaches, this is Nick Bartlett with Dr. Dish Basketball. And you're listening to the Championship Vision Podcast with Coach Kevin Furtado. Make sure to check us out at DrDishBasketball.com and on Twitter and Instagram at, at Doctor Dish Ball for daily basketball drills, tips, inspiration, and how we've revolutionized the basketball shooting machine over here at Dr. Dish. Also mention this podcast and you will receive an exclusive discount on your next Dr. Dish purchase. Thanks for tuning in.
0: Coach Angeli, what a treat to have you back.
1: Hey, Kevin. Good to be back.
0: <laughs> hey, <laughs> let's get after it coach, man. Hey, um, Hey, I sure appreciate you taking the time. Not a problem. Appreciate hey, uh, Tomo finished and, um, I really enjoyed kind of hearing your story. Uh, you were talking about your in the Middle East and how you you started to realize, hey, you know, maybe head coaching is not what I'm about. Kind of continue on with that.
1: Yeah, I, you know, I came back from the Middle East after uh, three successful mm-hmm. years in Qatar and uh, enjoyed it, uh, but uh, found that, you know, just the stress of, of, of being a head coach, even uh, – professionally overseas when you're only working two hours a day, uh, with your team. Um, it just, you know, I kind of knew it in my career already at that point, but I just felt like I was better suited to be an assistant coach from a, just the way I was wired, you know? And, uh, so when I got back to the States, I found it difficult, uh, getting my foot back in the door in the college ranks, uh, as I mentioned earlier, uh, you know, success overseas doesn't translate easily to getting back into the college game. There's no really, you know, something you could win over there that they could even relate to winning over here. So it was tough. And that, that was at the point, I, uh, uh, took a video job, video coordinator job and administrative assistant with Stan Heath at uh, South Florida just to get, uh, just to get back into the college game. And, um, So I spent a year with him at, uh, Florida at South Florida and just the money was, was terrible. And, uh, but I figured, you know, let's get back in the profession and, uh, try to kind of restart my career basically after coming back from the middle East, but I had difficulty again. uh, And again, it was not a, not a high paying job. So I had an offer to go back, uh, Again, based on my success in the Middle East, at least I knew I could parlay that success to another Middle East or overseas job because they could relate to that success over there. So Kuwait offered me a job and uh, coach a professional team there in the country of Kuwait. So uh, obviously the money was was, uh, a major factor in that decision. And uh, I went back over to Kuwait, spent a year there, and uh decided i had enough of professional basketball especially in the middle east and uh came back to the states and that's when I made a decision perhaps women's basketball might be an avenue that i would want to pursue since i haven't really been in women's basketball back since i started several several years ago with kevin borseth at michigan tech so uh, there was an opening at Seattle University. They were just transitioning from Division Two to Division One, and a coach by the name of Joan Bombacini, uh was coaching there. She had just taken the job. She's a very successful coach on the women's side. I think she's up, I think she's at 700 wins. She coached in Arizona for many, many years, very successful there. And uh it just so happened Cameron Dollar, the former UCLA point guard, was uh the men's coach at Seattle U at the time. So he put a good word in for me as this profession, you know. I was talked about how you know the connections and the contacts help you in this in this profession quite a bit. So he put in a good word and Joan uh liked my resume and wanted somebody with some experience, especially on the X's and no side. So I went and worked for Joan in Seattle for two years on the women's side, and I really uh, enjoyed it. I think the reason I enjoyed it the most was, of course, I was now an assistant coach, and all the heat, all the pressure was on Joan, right where I wanted it <laughs> off of off of Run me. It. <laughs> and I just felt I could, you know, enjoy the game more. Uh, it wasn't about. Uh, uh, getting any accolades for being, you know, the head coach or the decision maker, or getting praise for that. I, I, I enjoyed working with players, enjoyed being around the game, uh, enjoyed traveling to different cities. Even though I hate flying, I still enjoyed uh, just being able to travel and be around the game and, and try to build this program up at Seattle U. So uh, I decided at that point, staying in the women's game, uh, would be fine with me you know i was, I was content where i was at so uh, a couple years later uh again i'm you know i'm making okay money but it wasn't great money and uh it was a job at uh city college of new york that offered uh something i was interested in uh not only coaching but uh, uh administrative position it offered an assistant athletic director along with an associate head women's basketball coach it was at the d3 level in new york city somewhere i've never lived or, or i might have traveled in and out of there a few times during the years for basketball games but never really spent any time there so not really too familiar with, with new york city so i took the job at uh city college of new york as a d3 ncaa school and in hopes of of building a administrative career and 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 hopefully at some point transitioning away from coaching and, and going strictly into administrative uh, work and maybe become an athletic director at a small college or a junior college or something like that. So I spent three years there as the uh, associate head women's coach and the assistant athletic director for marketing. After three years, the, my boss, who was also the head women's coach, uh, was fired and they asked me to become the head women's coach and they gave me a promotion to associate athletic director. And I've done that for the past uh, five years until this year, my 35th year, I have stepped down now from coaching and I'm strictly just associate athletic director at city college in New York. And I find now that uh, even the past five years as head coach has been uh just really, really stressful. I mean, there's been some good times. We've taken a program that was close to the cellar and built it up to a te- team that's been in the semifinals three out of the four, last four years and kind of feel like I've just taken it as far as I could, you know, I need somebody else's turn to, to see if they could take it a bit farther, but really think it was a good time in my career to step down and uh, just not, I uh, was focused completely on the, uh, the administrative side of coaching. And uh, I'm certainly going to miss it, but I can tell you right now, just the, the, like I said, the stress and the worry uh, and it, just how it ate me up. And I just, the sleep was terrible and I uh, mm-hmm. just couldn't concentrate and enjoy everything else that was going around me because I, every little thing in the basketball side of things would it. just ruin my day. And from everything from worried about your recruiting and how good your team's going to be to worried about every other team in your league and how their recruiting is going to be, uh, and whether they're going to be better than you and where you're going to finish, and you know, and they'd take that to every game, just worrying about. Every little thing, and whether you win the game and you go home and you think, "Wow, should we won by more? You know, should the, you know if the score was close? Should we have blown them out? Am I a bad coach because I didn't get a bigger victory?" And and then losing the game that maybe you thought you should have won, and then just all night rehashing every play, and just it got to the point where I just couldn't oh. even enjoy. Preparing for a game, I was just so nervous, so stressed. And you'd think after thirty-some years in the profession that that would be gone, but it never really left me. And that's why I go back to saying I just am not wired to be a head coach. And I know some people find it hard to believe. Some people can't wait to be a head coach, and they they love the decision making and all that. And they don't mind the pressure, and they can take the parents, you know, and all that stuff. Uh, it's just. It just wasn't me and it never really was and and it, it took a long career to kind of figure it out, but I knew about halfway through my career what you know, what I really enjoyed. So I'm definitely as of right now I feel like I'm retired from coaching. I would consider maybe an assistant job if something opened up, but obviously I make I make a good salary as an associate athletic director. There's no way I could leave, you know, right. somewhere local or somewhere nearby that I could assist and still do my job at City College, which would, would not be easy anyway. But so I got more time on my hands. And, and I think, as you know, Kevin, starting out in my career, I started so many businesses online and I started writing books. And, and one of the things I did at UCLA is our, my last year at UCLA when we would. I knew we were getting fired. We were like nine and 19. And that just doesn't, that doesn't set well at UCLA. You got to be, you know, knocking on the door for championships. And you got to be going in deep into the tournament. And if you're not, you're not going to be there for very long. So right around uh, April or May of, of the last year there that I knew we were getting, we were going to get fired. I started, we had an archive back then and back then it was VHS tapes again dating yeah yeah
0: i remember those too, coach so
1: yeah so uh, (laughs) but we every team every team in in america on in our in our database and uh i said you know what and so i forget who said it but someone came into my office one day i said you know boy coaches really this is obviously back before even youtube started getting big and coaches were really you know, if someone took the time to break down all the offenses on these, some of these teams that we played over the years, and put it into a book or something of that nature, I'd say, man, that would be, you know, invaluable information that people would want to pay for, and coaches would want to pay for. It. Of course, there's several people I think doing it now. But so I started at that time. This is, you know, back in the early two thousands, uh, scouting America, top basketball cor- programs. Yeah. 40 of the top 40 of the top programs broke down all their x's and O's uh on video and put it into uh you know diagrams that coaches would pay a a subscription fee and uh so i've kind of what i've done now is i we stopped i stopped updating it several years ago but now i'm going back to updating it every final four so every final four we're going to we're going to update all the X's knows for every final 14 that's in there uh, in the tournament, everything they run, you know, during the biggest time of the season, their most important time, we're going to break down all four of those teams, X's knows, and, and, and put it into the members only area. And uh, I rebuilt the whole website, cleaned it up and looks real nice. And so if coaches are listening. It's only $47 for life. And we've actually added uh, a video as well. So there's several video, uh, uh, clips in there too now of uh, some of the best teams running their best stuff so uh we have this probably over a thousand diagrams on every offensive side you can think of from press breakers to out of bounds to zonos to zone out of bounds to uh, man-to-man offenses and set plays and quick hitters and you name it it's all broken down and, and nicely categorized by team and we even have a, a few of the popular uh professional teams overseas like Greece and Lithuania and New Zealand. And, uh, I'm sure you're aware some of those are European teams run some amazing stuff, uh, offensively. So it's all in there. It's only $47 I hate to go off on a, on a marketing push here to make a few bucks, but, uh, I think it's a great resource. Like I said, it's only $47. You can share them the, the login with your entire coaching staff and, uh, and you have it for life. You don't have to pay another dime after the forty-seven. So, uh,
0: yeah, yeah, and so yeah, I'm absolutely, happy. Coach. Yeah, give us that website again, and I'll—I mean, I can just tell everybody firsthand when I when I used it, and I still have a lot of your materials. Um mm-hmm. It was some great stuff. You you really helped me out in my coaching, so I can just got to tell you, I, I I say I'm saying give you a big big thanks for uh, providing me with a lot of great
1: materials. Um, You're welcome. welcome. Yeah. um, Yeah. Scoutinghoops.com, www.scoutinghoops.com is the website. I also have my own personal website, virtualbasketballcoach.com, virtualbasketballcoach.com. I have 20 uh, books and videos that I've uh, made over the years and uh, I have a lot of success with. I've used – probably 95 to 90%, 99% of everything that's in there. I've used in my career successfully and they're not, they're not, no knock against championship production or some of these places, but they're not, you're not going to find any $49 videos or $99 sets. You know, it's, they're all reasonably priced 20, dollars $27, probably everything under, under 30 bucks. Uh, you can even get online, uh, instant online videos. If you want to watch it right away, that's, uh, Again, reasonably priced at uh, virtualbasketballcoach.com. I rebuilt that entire website. And then I have one other website, shootathon.com. That's another uh, fundraising website for coaches. And again, it's not intended to make me a millionaire. I I offer a $57 fee and you can use the site and you can build your own website with it. And it gives you all the forms so you can run shootathon fundraisers for eternity for your high school, College, junior high. I mean, you can run as many shootathons as you want throughout the year for different teams and personalize. You can keep, you can change your website for every every shootathon you want to run. So, uh all of the stuff I do is, is certainly wasn't intended to make me a millionaire. It's just to try to help coaches, uh, and of course, I had to. I put a lot of time and effort into it, so I felt charging uh, something for it. Uh, was definitely justified. So, if coaches want to want to support, I would love it. Shootathon.com or virtualbasketball.com or scoutinghoops.com. It's all appreciated.
0: Yeah, and I'll have that. I'll have that on the show notes and everything for all the coaches and so forth. Um, hey, yeah, Jamie, let me ask you this because um, I got you know I got quite a few questions for you, but talk about UCLA basketball because I I'm a California. I'm actually from San Jose. Okay. Um, and my uncle went to UCLA. So I'm very familiar. Why hasn't UCLA gotten back to I know they had a few good years here or there, but they've had some great coaches come through there. Alfred, you can name it. What what's what's the what's the problem with UCLA? Why can't they rebuild that great dynasty?
1: Well, you know, that's a great question. It, well, it's a different It's a different atmosphere there. And I, know, I understand, obviously, the West Coast is the West Coast all over, not just the UCLA. But it's, you know, I always look in contrast to somewhere like Michigan State, you know, where they got the is zone. I mean, they got all these crazy people going nuts, and the stands are rocking. And and you get to UCLA, and it's a later-arriving arri- crowd, and, and. know, uh, You know, the students, at least when I was there, the student section was in the end zone. It was terrible the way they had it aligned. I think they've since corrected that. But it just wasn't one of those, you know, the college environment that you would think, you know, at UCLA could create. But it's L.A., so there's a million things going on in that city. And, you know, people are in the traffic. So you guarantee people are getting there late. And most of them are sitting on their hands during the game until something incredible happens. And we were fortunate to have guys like Earl Watson and Baron Davis and Matt Barnes and uh, some really great players. So we had a lot of highlights to give them. But, uh, uh and John Wooden sit behind your bench every night, uh, <laughs> so a little no bit. pressure, yeah, no <laughs> pressure. we trying to live up to him. But, uh, You know, I I think it just takes a special person that can really uh, get these kids to buy into being tough. And you know, I I mentioned someone like a Tony Tony Bennett type of guy that could go in and just really just change the culture a little bit. Even though you're in the West Coast, to get back to that, you know, I I hate to say I'm not making fun of the 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 West Coast, but kind of a Midwest, you know, tough. your lunchbox to work you know and your hard hat and and kind of that more of a middle league middle midwest east coast toughness you know to LA because I think a lot of these kids heck, all all these kids nowadays with AU programs are getting so pampered and so you know they got it so well that it's tough when you get into college and you want to start to crack the whip and bear down on them and get them a little tougher you know it's hard these days but I think even especially in the West coast. So I've heard from my people at UCLA that the guy, the guy that got there now, uh, I believe is the name uh, from uh city. I hear, yeah. I hear he's the real deal. So they really love him. Sure. Uh, and this could be the guy, this could be the guy that could get it going. So I was excited to hear that. They, they have nothing but good things to say about him. So, um, uh, when we were there, we recruited. Steve Lavin is one of the best recruiters in the country. He's done it everywhere he's been, at UCLA and St. John's. He's a great communicator. Kids love him. They want to play for him. And uh, we did a great job of bringing in some, some really good teams. And uh, like I said, we we were in the national tournament every year, Sweet 16, and knocking at the door to get to that next step and then we had the one slip up and uh, unfortunately UCLA you don't get too many slip ups and uh, I did hope we'd given a a little bit more of a chance to to continue uh, that progress but uh, again it's uh, unforgiving place UCLA with 10 national championship banner or 11 I guess now uh, 11 national championship banners up there it's uh, you know there's no conference championships listed all they care about is titles so Uh, You know, Ben Holland, I think, what, did he have two or three Final Fours in a row? And then, uh, you know, he's no longer there. So it's not an easy place for coaches. Uh, It just takes a special uh, breed and uh, a great place to to recruit. Amazing school. Six of the greatest years of my life. I'll never forget sitting down for that first team picture and just the hairs on my arms were standing up because I started thinking about all the all the great coaches and all the great players that have sat in these chairs every year for that team picture, you know, and it's just, wow, just overwhelming to think, uh, you know, that, man, I'm here and uh, representing this school that was it's uh, six years. I'll never forget. I'll be forever grateful to, to Steve Lavin for the opportunity. Just uh, an amazing, amazing time.
0: Yeah. What a great legacy. <laughs> I mean, you can't. I mean, everybody's still kind of competing against the UCLA legacy. I mean, I know Coach K at Duke. Um, I don't think. Let's be honest that, that what they cause it was a different time back then with Wood and with the ten national. You're never going to see that again. But what's what, what, what do you think down the list? What's the that's the, the next top in line dynasty. I know Duke. You can't beat what Coach K's done. Is there anybody else that maybe can kind of be in the same same list, same breath?
1: Well, you know, I, I you know, Villanova certainly looks like they have the, the chance to do it. I mean, he's he's always seems to be, uh, and what a great guy too. I mean, just a great coach uh, at Villanova. But I tell you, I've mentioned his name already, and. Uh, I have been a fan of his family, uh, uh, Tony Bennett at, at Virginia. I just I – I when I was a player in college at wisconsin State, I played against his dad, Dick Bennett, when he was starting out at Stevens Point. And uh, I've always been one of those coaches. And if you see something you like and, and it comes from somebody, I always seem to find myself going, going back to them. And throughout my career, all my defensive stuff was always Dick Bennett. You know, whatever, whatever Dick's doing – you know, because when he was at Stevens Point, he was denying getting out, man, you know, really pressuring and, and not letting you throw the ball in. And so, so that's what I was doing. You know, I was doing everything he was doing. And then he switched mm-hmm. to the pack, you know, and started letting people throw the ball around. But we're going to deny any penetration. We're going to deny any, any pass penetration. We're going to, you know, taking everything away inside. And I said, that makes sense to me. Dick Bennett says it's good. Let's do it. So I switched my defense, <laughs> you know. And, uh and now I just find myself gravitating to Tony Bennett. I mean, just every interview he, he, he makes takes, it's just everything he says is just connects with being on some level. He's just such a, such a spiritual guy. He's such a uh, selfless guy. I mean, I don't know if you saw the story it just came out recently where he, Turned down his raise, uh, that well-deserved is, yeah. raise. Yeah, and giving yeah. it to his staff and putting the money back into the school. And he's already donated uh, a ton of money to the school. He's just just a great person. But uh, it, it, just the type of program he's building there, I just have a feeling he's he's going to be there for, for a long time. And he's going to have success. And he'll be knocking on the door every year. And, and you always wonder... You know, if you'll if ever get the type of talented players that the North Carolina's and the Nukes get, and you wonder, boy, if he ever did have those, you know, how good they would be. But uh, who knows? Maybe he just doesn't he doesn't want to recruit those players. Or he has his, you know, a model of a player he wants, and he goes out and gets it, and, and he finds a way to win with them. So uh, I, I just think he's the kind of guy that uh, I think a lot of coaches – it's kind of funny after you hear the national championship and he won it and you start listening to him in interviews. I start listening to other coaches in interviews and you can hear coaches are bringing up quotes and they're, they're not even mentioning uh, Tony Bennett, but you know, they're talking about him and they're actually trying to, to emulate him and to imitate him and the things that they're saying, you know, that the, talking about the pillars in their program, which I immediately started, by the way. When I saw his pillars, I, I went ahead and made my pillars for my program and, and stole some of his and added some of mine. But uh, I just think he's he's the best. I really do. I cannot say enough about uh, their entire family. But uh, Tony, I've never had a chance to meet him. Like I said, I'm, I know his dad, but uh, man, I, if I could work for anybody, it'd be Tony Bennett right now.
0: Yeah, you said some great points, and I think the best moment, and I, we our our key word this year, Jamie, is humility for the team because I think humility is a true sign of success. I really do. I, I just we really believe that because I see too many kids thinking like you know hey, they don't have to work anymore, and so like, I don't have to get better. Um, and I think he's all about humility. Uh, But the best thing that I saw about him was when they lost to, I think it was like Baltimore, Maryland, you know, the 116 game, he handled that with so much class. And it's like, I don't know too many coaches that would do that.
1: Yeah, you're right. That post-game interview was amazing. I mean, I think every coach uh, could, could relate and could, you know, understand what he was going through in terms of an upset, but nothing, you know, even though you could understand, you can't completely, no one's ever really had that uh on that kind of national level to have that kind of uh I guess embarrassment for lack of a better word. But uh just yeah, the way he handled it, the way he gave so much credit to his opponent and uh just another step in, you know, learning for his for his program. But you you hit it on the head, of humility. You know, John Wooden always talked about what, what the great things you can accomplish when nobody cares who gets the credit, you know. When you get that type of team that just doesn't care and that's just selfless and and really there for each other, uh, it's just amazing how how your team can really explode and, and, and take off. And some teams they may start out struggling and finally that light comes on and it clicks and they start working and they feel a little success. And uh, it's great to see it as a coach when you know your team's finally bought in. And uh, it's it's a challenge for every coach. You know we can all say these words and. And put them on the lockers, and you know, make posters, and and hope it it, it sets in. But uh, when it finally does, it's it's an amazing feeling.
0: Coach, uh, we are, most of my listeners, and I have quite a few around the country who they just want to know how to build a program. I want you to teach us starting from your pillars offense defense all that i want you what are the key concepts if you have to go back i know you don't want to be a head coach again but you got a lot of experience teach us coaches what are the key components like in the first 100 days of building a program how would you build
1: it well the first thing like i said you you, you got to get a philosophy down you got to get it on paper you really have to uh, come up with some things that you are important to you and and, and... Again, stealing from other coaches is okay. Like I said, I took some of Tony Bennett's, but you also have to take some things that if you're going to take from somebody, make sure it fits with, with you. Just don't take it because Tony Bennett likes it. Take it because, you know, that, that connects with you as a coach. Make sure it's something that you believe in. And and the other thing is if you're going to take it, if you're going to use these philosophies, if you're going to put them in print, then make sure – That you adhere to them that you emphasize it every day and you know the Mm -hmm. old saying that in coaching uh, whatever the the kids are going to give you whatever you tolerate and 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 if you let things slide if you let things go then and that's exactly how the kids are going to perform and that's how your program is going to be built if it's you know uh, uh, like any building a house the foundation has got to be strong so the commitment, the desire you make, you know, you set with that philosophy in the beginning and never never wavering from it, I think is number one. So get a, get a philosophy, get it set in stone, make sure you believe in it and then just never waver, never leave it. Make sure your kids know about it. Uh, Teachable moments. Those are critical. I think in building your program, when things happen, whether it's something in a game, uh, you know, it could be as small as a, someone on the other team getting hurt and one of your players took the time to go over and see how he's doing or or, you know extend a hand to him to see if he was okay just little things like teachable moments that you can stop and use with your program to say this is what we want these are the type of players we want this is the type of mentality and the culture that i want to build you can find those examples every day and as kids start to see that you're looking for those things, you know, that, that they're going to understand that you know, this is the stuff coach expects from us. And, yeah, we have it in writing and yes, it's on the wall. But when something in the game happens and you can actually give an example of this is it, this is what we need more of, that really sets a huge message uh, to your program. So that's critical, number one. I think, uh, of course, if you're going to, you know, the staff, the people you work with, uh, you know, hiring good people is always up there with, with getting a program started, make sure you have loyal, hardworking assistant coaches uh, with you that you're going to enjoy being with that share some of the same philosophies. They don't have to be yes men and agree to everything you say. Obviously it's nice to have some people that will challenge you sometime and say, Hey coach, have you thought about this? Have you ever thought about this? Maybe we could try this. Yeah. Oh. You know, it's always nice to have some of those guys, but uh, definitely people you want to be around and that you think are going to be good, loyal assistant coaches. Uh, and then, obviously, if you have the, you know, in my life, it's all been a bit about recruiting. So, you know, we recruit to our philosophy and, and to the way we want to play. Uh, sometimes that doesn't happen, especially, if, you know, if you're a high school coach. Sometimes you're given given the hand you dealt with and you can't really go out and recruit. But, uh, you can certainly develop players through your feeder system and your programs. But I think being flexible as a head coach, uh, I've been fortunate one. One stop on my coaching story, we'll see that I've, I've used probably every offensive of, uh, system in the world throughout, throughout my career. So uh, being able to adjust your philosophies, tweak your systems a little bit to fit your personnel. Don't don't assume that, uh, hey, I want to be a running gun coach and you got a team that just can't run and gun. And you can't force them to, to be something or not. So you're going to have to adjust as a coach. Uh, from year to year, to be able to you know change your philosophy a little bit on offense or defense to fit the personnel you have uh, and until you're in a situation where you can recruit or bring in players that are gonna play the way you want to play, then it's it's you're gonna have to adapt and change. and uh, at the high school level, you know to, to be able to get coaches that again, if their parents great, if they're coaches that are want to get move up the ladder in coaching, but as long as they're hardworking and they care about the kids, it's it's always kids first. Get those people down on your younger programs that are that are willing to work for pennies or even free, and they're willing to to, to spend their time uh, in the gym uh, working with kids and their fundamentals. And uh, and to find a coach that is rare nowadays that that isn't uh, counting summer league wins uh, on on their resume, you know. And when you get those type of coaches, then you kind of start to lose what you're trying to do at the younger levels, and that is uh, building a love for the game, building the foundation, the skills offensively and defensively so these kids can move up and and be excited about basketball. I ran basketball camps for 20 years, and one of the themes – as was always having a good time, making it an enjoyable experience. So I knew in one week at my basketball camp, they weren't going to be a pro at the end of the week. It's impossible. But by the end of the week, what I wanted to have was a love for the game that they would leave my camp. And I would hear calls every, every year from parents saying, well, my kid hasn't put a basketball down since he left your camp. He's in the backyard shooting. He had such a great time. And, and that, to me, that's really what it is at the younger levels. Give them a great experience, make them excited about basketball. You know, don't make it all about winning. Uh, try to play as many kids you can. I know that's a tough one nowadays too. And uh, you know, especially in the game of basketball, when you can only play five at a time. So, you know, trying to get them to play as much as possible and develop those skills. And uh, you know, there's, there's really doesn't have to be anything fancy. I mean, you can. Go on YouTube, and you see so many of these individual coaches. They got a, a tennis ball, and a bat, and a piano, and a, I don't know what else they got. Everything yeah. on that court that they're using to, to train these kids, you know. Yeah. So, I haven't
0: but, seen the people
1: yet. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm exaggerating a little there, but you get the point. there's just so much stuff that they're, and it almost looks like boy it doesn't even look like basketball sometimes so you really don't need all those stuff i mean it's great if you know the key is obviously repetitions and to do it in a competitive manner in a game-like manner uh, you know i i used to have a, a friend his name is forrest larson and he's a real good coach in wisconsin i am yeah. not sure if he's coaching anymore but he used to come to my basketball camps and he's got some dvds out on the on the run and jump i believe and and he used to come to my basketball camp, and he and his son would do these dribbling exhibitions. They were fantastic, you know. And one of the things I always thought was the coolest is that he would eat pudding while while spinning the basketball on the end of his uh, spoon while he was eating it, you know. And I used to joke with him that because I, I to this day I can never spin a ball on my finger, nor have I even really wanted to, you know. And I always joking. <laughs> You know, when are you going to use this in a game? When are you going to stop and start spinning this finger in your game? And he'd always tell me, Well, when are you going to stop in a game and start lifting weights, too? You know, you don't do that in a game, but yet you do it on, you know, <laughs> that's a good point. I get it. But, um, but the key is, you know, just making it fun for the kids and having, having just game like situations. And you don't have to be a the smartest coach in the world to look at a game and say, Hey, here's a drill that I know the kids would. You know, you watch your team play, and you can make up your own drill that would that would help. The thing that drives me crazy is, and I watch a lot of high school games, junior high games, AAU games. You go in the gym, there's twenty five kids on the layup line, and there's one basketball. That drives me nuts. I, I you know, kind of, I, I got a, a DVD that I sell. It's called Assembly Line Skill Builders, and Every one of those drills, I think it's nine or ten drills on the DVD, and ten of the best drills I've ever used. But people are moving. People are doing something. There's not 15 kids in line watching one kid do a drill. They're constantly moving. That's When I go to watch someone's practice, that's one of the things I look at is how efficient is a coach? How are you maximizing your space, the time of the court? Are your kids getting stuff done? Are they moving? Are they hustling? Or are they just standing around watching, waiting their turn? You know, just wasted opportunities. So, number one, these AU programs got to get more basketballs. I don't know why they got thousands of dollars. I don't know why they can't buy a few more basketballs to, to get the it's going or something. But uh, just as a coach, come up with drills that, that are going to give kids repetitions. That's the only way they're going to get better, it's by doing it over and over. Over, and it's okay if they screw up as long as they keep doing it over and over, challenging themselves to get better uh, and make the competitive. And obviously, depending on your skill level, obviously, you can start whatever speed you want, but uh, keep challenging them to get better. But uh, get on the refs, you know. So if you're going to spend money in your program, get extra basketballs, you know, give get every kid a ball so they're constantly dribbling and working on their ball handling or shooting, you know, whatever it is. Uh, be nice to have a shooting machine but you don't need one you know there's, there's all kinds of ways you can get a lot of shots up on a shooting machine. so um you know those are some of the things that you know i've been a part of my program uh, forever i i just i think i've learned from really good people that i've worked with and i've taught the right way to do it i know what looks right and feels right to me as a coach it doesn't mean somebody else is going to feel the same way but you know, to me, it's always been funny, you know, you and and once in a while, a, coach will, a kid will say something in the court, but you, to me, the funny thing about basketball is like, you're out there working on your offense, and you're telling your kids, hey, if you do this and this, you've set the screen right here and do this move, you're going to be wide open, Billy, you're going to be wide, well, everything's great, you know, perfect offense, great play. And then 15 minutes later, you're working on defense, telling the kid, all right, you do this and this and that, and then your kid's never going to get a shot. You know, well, which is it, coach, you know? Is it an unstoppable offense or an unstoppable defense? Which is perfect? I mean, they can't – something's got to give here. We can't have a perfect defense and a perfect offense. So uh, that's why I always funny, you know, We are trying to tell these kids to believe in your offense, like you score a million points, and then on the other end, that you can hold anybody to zero if you do everything, you know, perfect. But – Never ends up that way, you know. All you can hope is uh, they just dig in and concentrate and give your best effort. And I'll never forget, man. I got a million stories. I can keep going here forever, Kevin. But I was listening to Ter- Jerry and many, many years ago, and uh, yeah, at a coaching clinic, and, and some guy in the crowd was being a real jerk, and and Tarkani was was drawing something up, and then the coach would say, "Well, coach, but what happens if they do this?" And Jerry would answer and they'd say, "Well, then we'll try to do this here and there." Yeah, but coach. But what then if they do that? You know, he just kept giving them every possible scenario that could go on in a game. You know, and finally Coach Jackerini just turned to him. Well, he said, "I'm not sure what we're going to do, but I guarantee you, we're not going to give up." He said, "That's it's that's the only answer I can give you. We'll just keep playing hard, and whatever they do, we're going to keep competing, and and that beats the heck out of giving up any day." And and the guy kind of just—I think the guy had five or six more. options to throw at him but he said all right guys, I, got it. I get it clarinega used to always tell me you know it's the last guy holding the chalk you know if, if you got a chance if you're fortunate enough to to make one more adjustment than the other coach uh you're going to have a chance to be successful in the, at the end of the game but of course we all don't, have, don't always have the opportunity to hold the chalk at the end and uh, that was another thing I hated, by the way, about being a head coach is, man, those timeouts when you had to come up with that critical play. Oh my God! Again, I know there's some coaches that are wired and, and uh, <laughs> just love it and give me that board. I got a million plays, and I have a million plays. Trust me, I, my websites and everything I do, I got a million plays. But man, when it was crunch time, when I was, I i have drawn five different plays on the same play on the same board you know like i got so many going on in my head that you know to me that was the toughest the toughest part and uh, uh trying to come up with something in a minute's time or 30 seconds and to give your kids a chance to win that was always the biggest challenge for me man i just and again being wired to be an assistant coach it wasn't it wasn't in my dna but uh I, I really love working for Stan Albeck, the old NBA coach. When I was at Bradley at the beginning of this interview, uh, he was so good at it, and all those NBA coaches are good at it. Man, they give them five seconds; they'll give you a play. You know, they they don't where you are in the court; they don't care. They got something ready to go. Boy, it was a it was a real treat to watch him uh, draw plays and timeouts for our guys. But uh, yeah, it's been an amazing career, boy. I'm glad I certainly didn't get rich, but uh, I've loved every minute of it. The tough times have been great learning experiences for me, and uh, you know, I I wouldn't have wanted to. I don't think I would have changed anything. I really think I uh, had an amazing career. I'm blessed to to be all over the world and meet some amazing people that have uh, just taught me so much that. Uh, I'm glad I'm in a position now where I can step away from the game and, and feel like you know I've done enough that I don't have anything to prove to anybody, and I'm okay with what I've done and the experiences I've had, and the people that I've had a chance to work with. Uh, I, you know, I'm I'm at peace. I'm sleeping much better. I guarantee it.
0: <laughs> yeah, and even yeah, you're right. And you you have you worked with so many great guys, Coach. I'm thinking I'm going down the list here of all the guys you work for and i think what you're doing now is you're really it sounds like to me you're kind of just sharing your sharing all the all the knowledge and all these got things you got from great coaches with a website with yeah. me right now one thing that stood out to me i really love what you said about and i really believe this i think the key to coaching nowadays is you got to teach enjoyment you got to have a joy of the game. I don't, I think that's lacking. I think the game yeah. is too serious now. Um, now I'm demanding, but we have a good time with my girls program. Don't you think that's really, really important or lacking?
1: Oh, absolutely. Uh, I mean, you have to, I think kids want to be pushed. They want it, They want you to, to be the type of coach that's going to demand excellence that's from smart. them. Um, but then to make sure, you know, you give them a good pat on the back and let them know, you know, you appreciate the effort. And when you feel that they're not giving their, you feel they can give more. You know, to, I think they don't mind being pushed, and let them know. Sometimes they'll give you some, some struggle. But uh, you know, I'm sure they'd, they'd rather have a coach uh, at the end of the day who's going to push them and, and want them to be uh, the very best, as opposed to someone uh, coach that will just, you know, if 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 you're. Not reaching your potential, the coach is uh, fine and move on to the next kid. And I don't think anyone wants to be coached that way. Uh, they may give the attitude someday, like, "Hey, coach, leave me alone," but the coaches that know, uh, the best coaches are the ones that will continue and to push. Forward and, forward. Uh, and I think coach, especially too, that just that learn and way evolve way. with the game. I'll never forget. I I used to coach. I used to be the guy, and I think I heard Shushkevich doesn't even use a, a whistle anymore in practice, but he wants them to get, you know, connected to his voice and listening to him. But I used to be the guy in practice that whenever someone screwed up, that we're running an offensive play and someone didn't do something exactly how I wanted, I'd be constantly blowing the whistle and the kids would be stopping, you know, and I'd be talking. And Turned out most of my practices were stopping and me talking, stopping and me talking. I said, you know, this isn't right. And I went to a this was a while back, about 10, 15 years ago. I went to a clinic, and Tony Baroni. he was a coach at Creighton when I was at uh, – yeah. uh, and he passed away, I believe, just recent, not too long ago. He uh, was at Creighton when I was at Bradley. He made it real important. He coaches – he claimed he coaches everything in threes. And, and by that he meant – and I always call it three, three, uh, three trips when we do it. So if we're working on offense and we screw up on offense, we don't stop it. We let the defense – steal it or whatever happens if it's a missed shot and a rebound or a turnover we go the other way and, and we play on the other end and play it live and then whatever happens down there we come back and finish which would be the third it's not the, really the third trip I guess it's two but three baskets another terminology you can use but I always call it the three trips so we'd start on one end if whatever happened we'd go to the other end we'd play that live even if we score, we take it out and come back and finish on the basket that we started. So one team's getting two reps on offense and one team's getting a, a defensive rep. And we'd switch it around so the, the other team would get two offensive reps and the other team would get one defense. But what I found through that simple adjustment, again, learning you know, from not thinking that you have all the answers and always listening and looking for ways to improve yourself as a coach, the kids were not learning to play through mistakes. They weren't always waiting for yeah. me to stop them. so a turnover in a game, they're, they're getting their tail back on defense and they're ready to stop because that's the way you've trained them in practice. And I was doing a disservice by constantly stopping them. So now any mistake in a game, they're, they're conditioned to stop, you know. So by doing these three trips, uh, I think it improved the intensity in practice, improved their concentration. The defense got better because they knew if they got a turnover, they're going the other way with it. But, of course, everyone gets more excited when you're on offense. It's amazing. I think as coaches, we all know, you know, you you got a kid who's limping on defense and he's hurting, and all of a sudden, we get the ball on offense, and all of a sudden, that limp just disappeared, you know, the kid flying down the court. He's looking healed already, you know. It's amazing what offense can do sometimes to kids, but uh, uh, the healing process, but – so, yeah, and it's, it's just, you know, he's a great coach, Tony Brown, and, and didn't get the, the, the big-time accolades that a lot of coaches did, but a lot of people know him in the business. and Gave me an amazing tool that I think has really, really helped my teaching and my coaching and uh, doing things that way. And I could give you time after time where I've picked up something like you mentioned earlier, and, and uh, I've tried to share that with the, all the coaches that uh, I know, and I'm glad to share it uh, here. And, Again, go to all my websites. I'll share it to you with you there. I'll have a sure. have my cell phone is on there. I don't have a, a voicemail or anything like that. I give I give everyone, everyone my cell phone if they ever need to call me and talk basketball or, or something about something I'm selling or any intricacies of the offense. Uh, I'm available twenty four seven. So I'm glad to help, and I'm going to certainly appreciate this opportunity to speak to you, Kevin.
0: Absolutely. Coach, one last question, and I really that, – that those are great points, and I, I believe the game – I think too many coaches do blow the whistle and stop, and I, um, I think the game's about recovery, and that is we allow – I actually teach my players to play so hard. they're they're actually, actually teach them to make mistakes and play through that at a recovery. Don't you think that's so vital? You just mentioned that, but I, I think it's lacking with head coaches just want to hear themselves talk
1: absolutely you hit it right on the head you know and we always talk too about some of these drills we do and and you see kids doing them they're they're so afraid to make mistakes you know if you want to be a really tough hard-nosed team especially a defensive team that that's just going to get out all over the floor and make 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 great plays for you if you can remove that fear of failure boy that is a huge step in coaching where they just will will run through a wall for you and uh and you watch some of these kids sometimes in a drill and they'll go so slow because they're afraid to make a mistake, which is great. It might look good that they're not making a mistake, but are they getting any better? You know, are they, are they pushing themselves and challenging themselves? So,
0: uh,
1: you know, you hit it on the head, you know, just push them to the limit, make, you know, once they get to that level where they're confident, they could do it at that speed let's go take it to another level, you know, sure. great, great coaches get kids to do that and, uh, remove that fear of failure. And, uh, not yanking kids after a mistake or two on the court, you know, letting them play through it, let them learn from it. And uh, uh, this little things you can do as a coach, uh, you know, to help them uh, with their confidence and, and, uh, you know, development as a player.
0: Yeah. And hey, my last question, I know you're a busy guy, and I sure appreciate you taking the time out. Hey, Hey, and this round has been much better. Don't you think the fourth quarter?
1: Absolutely. This is- what, what you did was this, this is, great i hope i hope the uh, the, the first sections can are, are we had so many breaks in there but uh yeah, yeah this has been much smoother hey
0: my last question and is the nba uh in the I, I guess it's the world games i think it is um just recently played under pop popovich yeah. and they lost and I heard something the other day about uh, a European coach on a podcast saying they he was saying someone what do you think about the pro game and when he says the pro game there's so much depth of talent, but the pro the the u s a guys make the coaching so much more complicated than what we do in europe uh, uh, is that is i think europe has catched up uh it's caught up with us, right
1: absolutely uh, you know their development their skill development i think is so I think it it makes ours it embarrasses ours. I think it's, especially with their their yeah. big people, they don't seem to have a this mold, you know, for setters that are working on the back to the basket and the guards are working on the perimeter. I mean, every player over there seems to be able to handle the ball and shoot it and move. And, you know, you got they got guys six, eight, nine, ten, seven footers that are that are playing like guards just because of the constant skill development. So. Uh, some of their offenses are pretty good, though I tell you, they they put a lot of time and thought into the, some of the X's and O's. But uh, I just think it's their skill development from, I'm sure, a very young age that uh, they're working these kids. And I think uh, we probably place too much of an emphasis on playing games as to yeah. as opposed to developing skills. And, and uh, so I think that's really where they get the the big edge on us.
0: Yeah, that's going to be your next video. I'm going to be your consultant. You're going to do a skill development tape um, for uh, all your all these European coaches. I think that'll be great. What do you think?
1: Absolutely. Great idea. <laughs> hey, coach.
0: Yeah, hey, hey, thank you so much for joining me. Um, I really appreciate you taking the time out. You got so much wisdom of all your experiences and everything. Uh, please give the information for us, coaches, on how we can get a hold of you.
1: Yeah, my cell phone number, 646-385-9393. Again, check out those websites, scoutinghoops.com, virtualbasketballcoach.com, and shootathon.com. I run them all. I've made oh the websites. Uh, if there's any problems, I'm the guy to talk to. But uh, especially from an X and O standpoint, if any of this stuff that I'm selling, you have questions with, uh, call me anytime or if you're having uh, philosophy uh, questions or about building a program. I've, I've been at every level imaginable, actually. To be honest, I haven't been at the uh, junior high level or elementary level I started as a high school coach. And, and been very blessed to either stay at that level or, or the college level. or professional level. Um, I'll Tell you what, I always say, if I don't have the answer, I'll find it for you. So I'm more than happy to help.
0: All right, Coach, thank you so much. And I, I always recommend all the coaches, go on to the website. Jamie's got some great stuff there, man, some great resources. I got a lot of them. Jamie, thank you so much for taking the time out there. I know you're busy. And I uh, wish you the best and uh, continue to help all the coaches. And I wish you the best in your job out there in the college.
1: Thank you, Kevin. I appreciate the opportunity to speak with you, and I appreciate everything you're doing for the game. Uh, very much appreciate it, and I wish you continued success. All right. Thank you, Jamie. All right. Bye-bye. Take care.
0: This is Alan Stein Jr. My new book, Raise Your Game, High Performance Secrets from the Best of the Best, will be available from all major book retailers on January 8th. Raise Your Game takes a rare peek behind the curtain and shows you what the top coaches and players in the game do during the unseen hours. I share their routines, rituals, and habits, as well as proven strategies that you can implement with your team immediately. If you want to maximize your coaching impact and influence, order your copy today at raiseyourgamebook.com.